Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. The medical device industry is built on continuous improvement. And that's not just for devices. It means for the people building those devices. Greenlight Guru Academy is the ultimate resource to learn and grow for medical device professionals. From quick, practical lessons to comprehensive certifications, you'll learn everything you need to know to keep up with the medical device industry. Visit www.greenlight.guru forward slash academy today to start learning the skills for tomorrow. Hey, everyone. If you haven't heard, the FDA came out with a proposed rule to align the current QSR quality system regulations with ISO 1345. They're calling it the QMSR. And that's something that we're going to be talking about today. At how is this going to impact companies? How are, how are these different changes going to affect medical device companies? Discussing with us today is Mike Drews, president of Vascular Sciences, which is an education, training, and consulting company, offers a broad range of services to medical devices, pharmaceutical, biotechnology companies. And also with us is George Zach, who is the principal and co-founder at Two Harbors Consulting. Um, he's a leader in the industry with 20 plus years experience in multiple aspects of process improvement, compliance and regulation, quality management, implementation, software development methodologies, project and release management. If you haven't seen his LinkedIn, um, he releases a lot of good things that uh, about the industry that you can learn from easily on the go. Uh, check that out. Without any further introduction, we'll go straight to the episode and enjoy listening. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Global Medical Device Podcast. My name is Etienne Nichols. I'm the co-host of the podcast. With me today is John Spear. Also, we have today with us George Sack and Mike Drews, a few of the leading minds within the medical device community. And today we're going to be discussing the FDA's proposal to align the quality system regulations, more commonly known as maybe the QSR, with ISO 1345-2016. So, if you're interested in submitting comments on that rule, you have until May 24th, 2022. I'll put the link in the in the show notes. But yeah, we're going to be discussing that today. A few different things that happened. That, that proposed rule on the CFR Part 820, just for some background, Part 820 and Part 4 came out on February 23rd. And a follow-up meeting with industry experts occurred on March 2nd. As of today's recording, that was yesterday. So if we reference some of the conversation throughout this conversation, that happened yesterday. That's what we're referring to. So just, just a little bit of background there. But yeah, I'm excited to be here with you all. Do you guys want to say a little bit about maybe your background or um, and we can start with uh, uh, George? Hello, my name is George Zach. I've been a longtime listener to this podcast. I, I must say I'm very honored and humbled to be on with two of the giants that I've had in my ears for, for so many years. My favorite regulatory podcast that's out there. Looking forward to this conversation with all of you. Mike, you probably don't need any introduction, but here's your chance. <laughs> well, George, thank you for your kind words, and it's happy to share the stage. Be careful, you're going to give me a, a bigger head than what, what I already have. Uh, softening you up. <laughs> most of the audience knows me already, but I, I, I think um, you know I'm looking forward to having this uh, panel discussion, if you will, about a, a very important and a very timely topic of uh, the, what's new and exciting in, in quality management systems. So one of the things the FDA proposed was uh, incorporating 1345 by reference. So curious what you all think about the pros and cons of referencing uh, 
1345 by a standard not governed by the FTA. Just immediate thoughts that you guys all have. George, let's just start with you then. Well, I think, so this this is something that we've heard about, obviously, for four years, right? We've heard the agency talking about going to this, this standard for a while. And so I think some of the fundamental questions as to what, what that means are, are still out there. I don't think that was resolved necessarily by the, the, the proposed uh, rule. You know, as we know, you, you just don't go and Google you know, ISO 1345 and, and get the standard. That, that is something that you're going to have to purchase. So I think you know, that's an interesting wrinkle probably uh, as a part of this as to you have to go out and get something that's licensed from an IP perspective. You know, as the standard changes, which it doesn't seem like it's going to change in the near term, but are, is the agency still going to just point to that that latest rev of it, or are they going to say we are sticking with the 2016 version, and then they're they're going to move along with how the standard changes in a, in a more careful fashion? So I think those are still a bit open ended questions that I, I I don't have a good handle as to how we're going to treat that going forward. What do you think, Mike? Well, I think I would just reiterate what FDA has been saying for probably the last 20 years at least with regard to standards overall, and that is FDA has said publicly many times, and I agree with them on this, that they are not going to adopt ISO or any other standards across the board. They'll take a, you know, sort of a piecemeal approach. And I think that makes sense. Every single week, almost every day as a professional biomedical engineer, I read regulation, I read standards that make absolutely no sense, and yet people follow them anyway. So I don't like that, you know, we're going to just accept everything blank without any thought. And referencing the meeting that Etienne mentioned a moment ago, one of the things that FDA announced in that meeting that I happen to agree with is they said that any revisions to the standard in the future, specifically 13485, which everybody knows is an incredibly broad standard and can be interpreted, let's say, in many, many different ways, but any re uh, future revisions to that standard would need to be evaluated before making their way into U.S. regulation. So I agree with that. I think to me that makes sense, not just as a regulatory or a quality professional, but also as a uh, as a professional biomedical engineer. John, what do you what do you think about that? Well, as George mentioned, I think the first time we started hearing hints about this FDA moving towards broader adoption of 1345, I mean, it happened a few years ago, and probably for obvious reasons, it was the FDA was was pretty silent on that uh, over the past couple of years, you know, I think in large part, probably because of the pandemic, it was pulling their resources in other directions. And like when the, the announcement came out, oh, there was this new document, that sort of thing. I mean, you, it's like, oh, this is going to be interesting. I mean, I think in my career, this word harmonization has been uttered often. In fact, there, there used to be an entity known as the Global Harmonization Task Force. I mean, it's now still exists. It's IMDRF now. It's interesting that we want this from a practitioner point of view, I think. I'll, I'll leave that as an open-ended question. But it gets way more complicated than that because we have different government agencies in various parts of the world that are obviously trying to make sure that the laws and the regulations that are in place in those different countries are there to protect their citizens, you know? And and so, you know, can you can you get can we ever get to a point? where there's there's true harmonization and if we did would that would we be better off I and mean, these are some open-ended questions that i'm contemplating in my own mind so 
If I may add, Don, I'm glad you mentioned global harmonization because that's one of the things I was hoping to bring up today. In the past, global harmonization has always been in the context of the regulatory system. In other words, why does it make sense to have to jump through different regulatory hoops just simply as a function of where on the earth you happen to be standing at the time? Why can't we have you know one global regulatory framework that everybody jumps through, and if you get if you meet those requirements, then you can sell your device you know anywhere in the world. What we're talking about today is the quality equivalent of global harmonization for the regulatory system. And the other thing that I thought that I would mention quickly in referencing FDA's meeting yesterday, they also mentioned that most of the subparts of the quality system regulation that are proposed are, to use their phrase, substantially similar to what is already there. And so as a regulatory consultant, you know, I take the pun, you know, purposely, you know, is this new quality system framework, is it substantially equivalent to what we already have? If so, then it would be like a 510K. If it's significantly different, are we talking about Novo? So I'm purposely trying to use some <laughs> regulatory puns here to, to interject into this quality discussion. What do you well, is, is, it, is this a 510K change or 510K that the agency is submitting, Mike, or is it, is, it, <laughs> is it a de novo? Indeed, that is exactly the question that I'm asking, George. But it, it's interesting to me, like when I, I remember when 1345 was last revised back in 2016, you know, we, we were just, Greenlight was just getting started. I just started maybe a couple of years prior to that. So this was interesting because, you know, that change, that industry standard change, it put the industry in a lot of flux. Boy, it escapes me for the moment. But the previous version of ISO 13485, I think it was like 2003 or something like that. And fact check me unless one of you all know. But it hadn't changed in a long, long, long time, at least the words in the standard. To me, the, the latest, greatest version of 1345, there was nothing dramatically new in that standard. And Mike, you and I have talked about the more things change, the more they stay the same. I think what that standard, what was different about it is the interpretation of the application of the specific requirements had evolved over the you know the decade or so prior to the previous version. So the 2016 was just a catch-up. It was just to to make sure that that you know this is reflecting latest greatest thinking. And I, the last comment I'll, I'll say, at least for the moment, before I, I hear your all reaction, is the 2016 version, to me, bridged the gap between Q, the, the differences between QSR and 1345 in a huge, huge way. I mean, used to, you know, I mean, QSR and 1345, they were, you know, 80 or so percent the same or very, very similar. But with the 2016, I think it maybe up that up to closer to like 90, 95% similar. So to me, there's they're already there, you know. And so it's like, why make this movement? Well, you know, John, it's interesting. And George, I would love to hear your thoughts on this as well. You mentioned, you know, the the periodic changes, the updates to 1345, plus to the QSR in general. But John, when was the last time that the design control guidance True. was updated since it was created in 1997? True. The answer is never. That, that that guidance has remained exactly the same since it was originally created in 1997. I would argue that good regulation, whether we're talking about regulation in the regulatory sense or here in the quality sense, good regulation is totally agnostic of time and it's also totally agnostic of technology. 
What do you guys think of that? Is that is that naive or did I just pull off the turnip truck yesterday? Do we need to keep, you know, making changes? And regrettably, a lot of these changes are being made. Maybe you guys might disagree because people are not doing things that they should be doing. And let's yeah. be honest, people and companies are doing things, you know, stupid things, boneheaded things, things that should not be done. That's why I think we have a lot of this new regulation going to into effect. I think there's a lot of parallels here to the new regulation going into the effect for medical devices in the EU. The whole mm-hmm. reason why all of that regulation is going into effect is because of, regrettably, some of the high-profile problems that we've had with medical devices in the past in the EU and the other places. So my question to you guys is, six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, if we don't, if, if these changes don't lead to safer and more effective medical devices, isn't this a colossal waste of time and money? Okay. I'll take a crack at this. So one, yes, I agree. Good regulation is timeless. I've heard you two speak, John and, and Mike, about the, the timeless nature of 820.30, the design control part of the regulation. And not trying to speak on your behalf, but I think that you know, obviously, since that was written, we've seen uh, in the last twenty-something years that that's been around the onset of, of software as a medical device. I mean, it truly in nineteen ninety-seven when we we're all using Windows ninety-five, the capabilities that are out there is from a Sam D perspective, what they are now. You know, what are they? The uh, the forefathers did not think of those sorts of things when writing that part of the regulation. But even though many of my friends in software would say, "Oh, you know, the regulation's outdated." I, I disagree with them. I think 820.30, you know, hey, you have inputs, you have outputs, you have verification, validation, you plan, you have reviews, you know, consider risk. Maybe maybe there should be more about risk in 820.30 than what there is. And we actually see they're trying to bolster that with this proposed rule, but it's still timeless. Now, adjacent, just to give you a different case, I think most of us would look at part 11 and say, hmm, that's kind of outlived its usefulness, I think, I, and, and in terms of how it's it's written. Now, there's a lot of great principles in it, but in terms of how it's being applied by many organizations, that's a regulation that perhaps is not as timeless. So I agree with, with, with you said, John. It's like, I kind of looked at, I've been waiting, I don't know, I kind of felt like a kid waiting for the next Star Wars movie to come out. I've been waiting for this proposed rule to come out for so long. I was like, yeah. okay, great. Darth Vader is is Luke's father. What are we going to get with this proposed thing? And I was expecting this big kind of rewrite of 820. And, and then frankly, it seemed, I've heard it described more as a gap bridging measure where they're saying we're adopting this thing. And, and here's the places where we want to go a bit further in terms of our definitions, or we're going to make this particular thing clear. I think on whole, you know, you can make the case like, well, is that a big colossal waste of time? I think while it doesn't get us to global harmonization, I think it's a uh, a necessary a necessary step. And I and I don't think it's as huge. And I may be wrong. I've, I've yet to talk to a lot of people in industry as to their perceptions of this, but I don't think it's for the sites that are not doing boneheaded things or the manufacturers that are not doing boneheaded things. If you're already in a compliant, and maybe you're just distributing in the U.S. and you don't have a 1345 certificate because you don't need one. I don't think it's a huge lift to shift to some of these considerations. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, uh, apologies to those out there that didn't know that Darth Vader is Luke's father. George gave us all a big spoiler <laughs> there. <but laughs> You know, I guess you know the curiosity. One of the curiosities that um, that that I wonder is. How many companies are just 100% focused on the U.S. market, and you know, uh, 1345 be damned, haven't even gone down that path? I don't know. 
hard to say, but nonetheless, the the gaps do seem mostly trivial between those. I mean, of course, there is a different motion and and a different activity that one has to go through. You can't just self-declare, oh, we're 1345 compliant. Of course, you have to have an outside auditing organization come in and that sort of thing. But to me, that's the the potential benefit from an FDA perspective or a benefit, not the. Now there's, there's resources that are routinely doing this. Okay. Yeah, devil's advocate. I know there's FDA inspectors that routinely go to companies and come in and and look at their practices and their policies and procedures and the documentation, the records and that sort of thing. But it's that's not always the case, you know. At least where where everybody, if every company had to go through this ISO path, well, maybe it's a question. Does that in, in help improve um, consistency with practices? Well, John, you you know you probably know more about quality than anybody else I know. Uh, answer this question: um, Is quality is are the most important principles of quality? Are they a function of geography? In other words, to me, no. quality is quality, whether you're yeah. here in the United States or in the EU or Canada or Japan or anywhere else in the world. So, does it make sense for a company to have a separate quality management system for one region of the earth and another separate management quality management system for another and so on. And then George, you, you made uh, an interesting sort of inference a moment ago uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you kind of implied that if a company was compliant, if they were doing what they were supposed to be doing, that they wouldn't be doing what I called earlier boneheaded things. And I would never make that assumption. Companies who are 100% compliant and are still doing, from a biomedical engineering perspective, boneheaded things. So what do you guys think? That's completely fair. And 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 you know, people that people have heard me make this analogy, you know, multiple times. And I've heard you guys say, you know, being compliant is the equivalent of being the C student. I'll quote a former guest on this, a guy named Mike Drews. I've heard him say (laughs) that. So, but uh, the analogy I make is, you know, when my son, when he was 16, he's he's in his 20s now. When he got his driver's license he demonstrated that he was a compliant driver. Now in his head, he, he also thought he was a quality driver. He certainly, <laughs> any of us that look back as to what kind of drivers we were in our teen years would probably say we were not a quality driver, but we could be, we could be um, compliant. In fact, you know, we know the whole case for quality. We've heard Jeff Shuren say at the, the director of, of CDRH have said, hey, we're, we're seeing organizations that are compliant that are having quality issues. And we see organizations that are not compliant delivering high quality products. And the case for quality is really trying to get their arms around What's going on there? Um, my point there was, uh, I, I think that w- was really not necessarily that, hey, if you're compliant with, with 820, that you're going to get quality products. What I'm suggesting is if you have a quality management system that's already been geared to be compliant with 820, I don't see it as a huge lift to move to what's being proposed with the harmonization to 1345. And, and I think actually, I, I, I don't know either, John, how many companies are uh, just living only in the 820 world. Um, I, I think probably, you know, most are also thinking of uh, global distribution. So they're thinking of those other markets. And 1345 has definitely been on their radar because of that, or they've been under a rock if they haven't been thinking about this over the last four years. Um, so I, I, I think some of the pushback of, oh my gosh, this is a, this is a huge change. Um, in our quality system, I I haven't quite 
seen something in there where I'm like, okay, that that's going to be, you know, rocket surgery if, to call it that. That, that. I don't say there's a big shift. And so that brings back to your point, Mike, like, so, so why, why do we do it? And again, I think, you know, while it may not be a huge shift, I think it is a step in a direction of many steps towards some sort of global harmonization, but that, that might take more time than we're, than any of the four of us are going to be around. Etienne, I should have warned you, or maybe I did, that once you hit record and and uh, introduce this this group of characters, that we were going to be off to the races on this. So I, I know you had some some thoughts and ideas jotted down. So um, yeah, yeah. So hit well, us what, with something something from your perspectives. What, what are you thinking? Well, one of the questions that was in my mind was the time to transition. I mean, that was one of the the things in the proposal for one year. So um, yesterday's meeting with the FDA Advomed actually recommended two years. Um, and, and there are different w- reasons why you know they might want to do that. To, to Mike's point, maybe there's some boneheaded companies who need to get their head uh, straight before they, they, they transition. Another uh, possibility is what about the inspectors themselves? Do they need time to transition their mindset? Um, what are y'all's thoughts on the time to transition? Should it be one year? Should it be more? Any thoughts there? George, why don't you go first? <laughs> well, yeah, a little pre-secret here is I was, there was, you might expect it was an email exchange between this panel uh, discussing this. And, and, and I basically said, I don't, maybe there's a reason really for it to be two years, but simply it seems very arbitrary right now. Hey, it's, it's a one-year transition and then uh, industry coming back and saying, we need two years. I, I just, Why? Like what, what's, what's so much, what's so much harder about that? Right. But I'll jump in. Sorry to cut you off. Um, Well, sorry, not sorry, but, but I think (laughs) part of the challenge is, um, you know, with the, uh, Mike mentioned the EUMDR happening, uh, you know, sort of we're in the middle of that. Part of the challenge was uh, resources, right? I mean, the, the, the group of notified bodies that existed a few years ago, it's not the same group of notified bodies that that align with EUMDR, and you know, we, I think we saw a little bit of this when 1345-2016 came to light. It's getting in line, you know, so to speak, to get that certification. I mean, that could be a lengthy process. So, you know, whether it's one year, two year, I'm not sure either of those periods of time is enough to be able to make that full transition, just because of the the limited number of resources that that are authorized and, and accredited to perform the activities. So maybe but that's me, part of the reason why. I don't let me know. let me just let me just see if I can clarify this because my and I may be wrong, but my understanding is that in this in this new QSMR world, you don't you're not required to have a 1345 certificate. Right, but it, how it, does how does one make that transition without some sort of um, <laughs> Proof or evidence. I mean, uh, well, I, I think I, I think what. So you're you're suggesting that to show that your quality system is eight twenty and thirteen forty five compliant, you want to have that certificate to to provide some way. Your yeah, no, but I, I think your your quality system could still stand on its own under in the new QSMR world under eight twenty, and you don't necessarily have the thirteen forty five certificate. I do think many of these these folks will still uh, because they're they are playing in international markets. They're going to get a thirteen. They have one, or they're going to they're going to they're going to get one. Your point of if there was a the statement is we need more time because oh by the way there's this little thing going on in Europe called you know uh, EU the, the MDR. Uh, and IVDR for a lot of these companies as well. If if that's if they're saying, look, 
that's the weather we have to deal with right now. And because of that, from a resource perspective, we need more time. That may be uh, an acceptable you know, argument to consider as to one year over two, but that is not something that I'm seeing in the proposed rule that's driving that time difference. And as so much as just overall conditions that industry is facing. That's a fair point. Uh, yeah. No, but I, but I see your point of view too. It's like, okay, for all intents and purposes, the leap from QSR to QMSR should be a, a small leap, a, a, a little lift, not a big lift for me as a company, especially under the assumption that I've been following and compliant uh, to the QSR as it's as it has been written since the late 90s. So this should not be uh, a revolutionary thing that I have to Im- implement. It's evolutionary, right? That, that's your point. Yeah, I think so. Mike? I would agree with what you just said, John, wholeheartedly. Uh, I, I would say it uh, this way. If a company is doing what they should be doing, and what I mean by that is not from a regulatory or a quality regulation perspective, but from an engineering and a biology perspective, which is infinitely more important, in my opinion, than what the regulation says. But if a company is doing what they should be doing, it should really be, to use your phrase, John, a very small leap, a tiny leap, maybe even no leap at all. Yeah, there are going to be changes in forms and paperwork, maybe in some, some processes and so on. But in terms of substance, there should be really no change. And this, quite frankly, is the concern that I have with this uh, QMSR. It's exactly the same concern that I've had for the last several years uh, for the EU MDRs. And that is when I look at this, and I'm intimately familiar with the with the changes going on in the EU for the for the MDRs uh, for devices as well as for IVDs. When I look at the changes as a uh, former R&D engineer, there is very little or nothing that I would do differently in terms of developing a device, testing a device, uh, and so on. The only changes are in in, in the paperwork. Right. And yeah, there's a lot more words, right? <laughs> there's a lot more words, actually. Yeah, a lot more words. But you know, one of the things that I've learned over this 30 years that I've been playing this game, uh, there's a uh, you know hundreds, maybe you know thousands of of, of variables that are going to ultimately impact the safety and the efficacy of a medical device, whether it's a physical device, piece of software, IVD, I don't care what it is. But one thing that I will guarantee will never be on that list is the form that we put that information on. And that's what I'm afraid of. There's so much emphasis in companies as well as in regulatory agencies, not on the information itself, but the form that's being used. That to me is a, is a bit of a problem. I don't know if you guys agree or disagree, but that's that's the way I see it. Oh, and one other thing in terms of time, because uh, I also, uh, George, have uh, some sort of uh, opinions on, look, on this, look, this is a poker game. Right. So no matter what, it's a it's a negotiation. So FDA knows in advance that whatever number they they put out there first, industry is going to ask for more. Right. So an industry knows that whatever FDA uh, proposes, they're going to want to extend. It's kind of like when you buy a house or sell a house, you know, you you know, the, the, the buyer wants to get the most amount of money and the seller wants to pay the least amount of money. So. Uh, one year, you know, what, whatever. I think that's a reasonable time frame. I agree with you. I don't know why it should take any company longer than that. Um, and I hate to say it from a pure human psychology perspective, let's not underestimate the importance of, um, uh, oh, shoot, what's the word? Um, when you put things off, uh, procrastination, <laughs> procrastination. 
I mean, you know, as it is, we're doing this recording in early March. Our taxes are going to be due here in the United States in, you know, maybe less than six weeks from now. How many of us, you know, start working on our taxes on January 1st? Most of us probably not. You know, we wait to, you know, maybe April April 1st or April 10th or maybe even April 14th before we have to submit them. So let's not underestimate the procrastination. I know, and John, you and I have talked about this before, there are companies out there that purposely don't start working on this until they absolutely have to. So regardless if they're going to have one year or two years or five years to implement, there are companies out there that are going to figure out, okay, how long can we possibly delay this? before we start to implement it. Entian actually had kind of baked into his question, the, uh, I think the impact, not just on the industry side, I think the longer pole in this tent is going to be the impact to the agency. Yeah. Right? That was going to be my question to you. Keep going. Yeah. I like this. Yeah. So, so like, I think if I'm the quality director uh, of an organization, let's, let's say that is doing the right things and it has a qual- a, a compliant quality system, but also has the right quality culture and is appropriately tuned to those uh, those engineering principles that you talk are talking about, um, Mike. They have the craftsmanship that they're thinking about. Let's let's do what's right and just good engineering practice above and beyond what's expected from the the regulation. Um, agree. It, this is this is small. We're, you know, we're talking about like dot thirty five dot dot forty five in the regulation. Oh, guess what? You know, my 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 um, uh, device history record. Uh, you know that that's that's gone now, but it's just replaced with a different form. To your to your point, Mike, there's bigger shifts because the agency has been lift, living with 820 as it is for over two decades. They have this inspection technique, QCIT, that's going to have to change. We haven't seen what that is going to look like yet, and maybe it stays for the most part the same. But I think we should expect to see some plumbing changes there. They're going to have to become familiar with 1345. Now, industry, I think, just by the nature of you know business requirements, hey, we want to distribute into Europe. We have to go get this 1345 certificate. Your quality director, maybe your you know your your engineers, they they have they have a an understanding of it. I am not thinking that most in, in in the FDA, and I may be wrong. Maybe like they've they've been reading it late at night to get this sort of familiarity, but but they haven't had to. So I think that's going to be a much bigger shift for the agency than it is going to be for industry. George, I would go back to your metaphor or earlier. You mentioned your son getting his driver's license. You know, the, getting when somebody gets their driver's license, does that mean that they're a good driver? If somebody gets a certification, a 1345 certification, whatever it is, does that mean that they're, you know, doing what they should be doing? Well, one of the questions in my mind, so you, Mike, you mentioned global regulations. So to couple that with John's comment about like US only companies. So if, if, like you said, anywhere you stand on the planet, quality is quality. Um, I would imagine those who are part 820 only companies are likely going to be smaller companies. They probably and this is me, pure speculation. Have they had the voice in uh, um, the the ISO standards? Do they need to start yeah, recognizing how standards are built and and participating in that? And if so, how or or do you have any comments or thoughts on that at all? Well, I'll, I'll jump in. I mean, I probably a true statement that uh, the voices who get heard the most on standards are probably the biggest of the big medical device companies. That's probably a pretty universal statement. Uh, and at the same time, I mean, the the data to, to, to corroborate this is hard to come by, but it's, it's, it's pretty widely 
accepted that about uh, 80 plus percent of medical device companies are 50 or fewer employees. Some may say it's a couple hundred, but nonetheless, let's just say 100-ish employees or less. That represents the the overwhelming majority of medical device companies. Um, It it is hard to be involved. It's difficult. It's not impossible. It it is difficult to be involved with with standards committees. you know the those who do that's oftentimes their full time job, and I think smaller size companies are may not be afforded the luxury of being able to hire a, a person whose sole responsibility mm-hmm. is to be involved in and guidances and regulations and and standards or uh, yeah standards creation and I've worked in small companies for a good part of my career. There's nothing that's restrictive or so prescriptive within QSR or 1345 that prevents me from doing what I need to do to make sure my medical devices are safe and effective. So I don't think it's a big issue, but your point is valid. Uh, the big boys and girls uh, oftentimes make make the uh, get to make the decisions for the rest of us in the classroom. So. Well, if I could add, another thing that was mentioned in the FDA meeting referenced earlier just happened yesterday, and this is a a direct quote from FDA. They said that the requirements of ISO 13485 are about 90 to 95% similar to those in the quality system regulation, end quote. And then here's one other quote that I would find interesting. The FDA inspections, we, we talked about that a moment ago will not result in certificates of conformance to ISO 1345. Manufacturers who have ISO 1345 certificates are not exempt from FDA uh, FDA inspections, end quote. So that's a direct quote from the, the agency as of yesterday. So basically what FDA is saying, and you guys, you know, feel free to, to bat this around further. Um, if a company gets, you know, a certification for perhaps, you know, whatever reasons that might be required outside the U.S., that's not going to carry any weight here in the United States. Is yeah, I think, I, I think what John was what John was suggesting is maybe, well, that that is objectively true. Uh, I think maybe, John, what you were suggesting is if the FDA inspector shows up for their cup of coffee, knocking on their door, and as they walk through your your lobby, they see a 1345 certificate hanging, maybe they get a little bit more confidence in in that, in that organization, you know, or I I think, but, but again, I think we're all in agreement. Like there's, there's not, and, you know, here, here you have the FDA saying, Hey, look, we're, we're not issuing those certificates. So (laughs) that's not our job. Um, and you're not off the hook if you have one. Um, so y- yeah, I think, I-, I think we get to the same, the same place. You don't necessarily need a 1345 certificate because the agency is now driving this into, um, the, the QSMR. Oh, quick side note. Uh, I had a conversation recently with somebody from the agency and I called 820 the QSR and I got my hand slapped because they told me the QSR is the quality system record, right, from 184, and that my referring to the 820 as the QSR was, was incorrect. So uh, I, of course, told them I've heard it called the QSR for, you know, a bunch of years, but including mostly on this podcast. But anyway, the going to the QSMR, you will not need, uh, need a 1345 certificate, but 
you know, maybe getting one helps you gain some uh, efficiencies in how you're applying that into your quality system as it stands today. Well, do you, and, and by the way, George, you really have to be a regulatory geek or a quality geek to, to, to point out those uh, differences that you were just getting into. I'm in the but, right audience. Then. <laughs> <laughs> but more importantly, do you think there's a little bit of irony, perhaps even hypocrisy here that on one hand, FDA is saying that at least for now, we're not, re- we're not recognizing ISO 1345 certifications, and yet they do recognize MDSAP. I mean, how do you connect know, the right? between those two things? I personally have problems with the whole philosophical concept of universal uh, inspections like that. I know, you know, industry as well as the regulatory agencies, they like them because they're convenient, they're they're cheaper, mm. they're less time and so on. But is that really, you know, the kind of system comes right back to what we started talking about earlier about global harmonization, global yeah. harmonization of what? The regulatory system, the quality system, the inspection system. I mean, before you know it, we're going to have, you know, everything the same for everything. End of discussion. Well, um, so hmm. I, I think that, yes, it would be very easy to have, you know, you, we, we could probably have a weekly podcast just on inconsistencies between, you know, various regulations within the agency or, you know, I think I even heard you recently speaking uh, on this podcast about commonalities and differences, say, between 820 and 210 and 211, right? Like when you get into combination products and where that's going. I, I think that's pretty common that that the, I wouldn't go so far to say the left hand doesn't necessarily always know what the right hand's doing. Um, but absolutely, is that inconsistent that they recognize it with a, an MDSAP uh, audit, but they're, they're not necessarily going to do that here? My, my sense is that may fall out at some at some point in the future. Um, and that's always going to be a balancing act on this global harmonization thing, right? I, I don't think we're ever going to get to one global, you know, regulatory uh, slash quality uh, pathway. Every country is still going to say for for our country, you need to do this. Um, so until we're we, until we, geopolitically, we all move to one big country planet. <laughs> then we should truly expect that we're going to see those differences. Well, we still don't have a global currency. We do not have a global electrical system. We don't have, you know, even consistency for what side of the road that we drive on. So what we haven't, we've had a debate over global harmonization for the regulatory system for at least the last 20 years, and it still hasn't happened. I found it interesting that, you know, some people think that it might be more likely to have global harmonization for quality Perhaps so, but why is quality different than any of these other things? Yeah, but I think there's still steps taken in that direction, essentially in the first dozen pages of the proposed rule. 52 pages, but you know, for those of you that have not looked at it, it you probably can trim 30 pages out of that reading because there's a lot of um, preamble-like stuff. Why, why do we get to make these sorts of rules? What's the economics that's associated with it? Um, things that are perhaps uh, less relevant to the actual change in, in, in the rule itself. Uh, and I think one of the things they're talking about here is that they think that this they, they're doing this in response to what industry has asked for, because industry has said, look, we're, we have to deal with 1345. We have to, do, we have to deal with 820. We have to deal with you know, other, other regulations. This can, can you help us out here since most of us are playing in these two, at least with these two regulations slash standards? And, and, I, and I think it's a step in the right direction that way. I'm not going to expect that that's going to turn into uh, a true global harmonization standard uh, in my lifetime. 
There seem to be two different approaches, you know, the two different types of companies. I'm sure there's more. In fact, the uh, uh, the panel yesterday talked about more, but you have companies that are 30, 1345 certified. So that will make life a little bit easier for them marketing in the US. But then you also have those companies, like we mentioned earlier, that maybe they're only living over, under part 820. And now I'm going to have to start calling part uh, what 184 for the QSR. Uh, so there, there are those, those things that they're working under. Um, what are the pros and cons for that subset of companies? Um, I, we talk about the pros, you know, they're maybe they have lowered barrier to entry to exportation, for example. You know, if they if they hadn't thought about exportation in the, in the past, maybe maybe that's an option. I don't know. Um, but what are some of the pros and cons that you all think about um, uh, those that subset? Domestic only. So now they're going to be looking at thirteen forty five, maybe for the first time. Um, and they're probably thinking, why do I have to do this? You know, are, uh, we talk about some pros. What are there any cons in your mind? Are we looking at a thirteen forty five plus system? Well, if I understand your your question, and I appreciate the the, the clarification, if there's a company that's doing business, say here uh, only in the United States and nowhere else, and this is the first time that they're looking at the thirteen forty five then I would argue that that's indicative of a much, much bigger problem than anything that we're talking about here. I mean, to me, that just goes to, you know, people call themselves medical device professionals. What does the word professional really mean? I mean, to me, that's not a term that should be used loose, loosely. You know, if somebody needed surgery, we, we would expect the surgeon to know how to do the surgery, the different methods to do the surgery, the advantages and disadvantages, what happens if this happened, what happens if that happened. That's what's, uh, you know, being a professional is about. So um, if somebody doesn't know about this particular standard, whether it's required or not, that I think is a problem. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so maybe look at it from the other direction. What about the people who are adhering to 1345? Um, are these extras, you know, quote unquote, extra Part 820 requirements? What are your thoughts on that? Are, are those a positive or a negative? Well, I would look at it as a sanity check. I, it, it's very simple. If there are new requirements that are now being imposed, the company, and this is exactly the advice that I would give to my customers if they ask me that question. Ask yourself, from a based on your device, your your technology, and so on, from a biology and engineering perspective, are do these requirements make sense? In other words, could it be that maybe you're not doing something that, in retrospect, you should be doing? If that's the case, then that's the effective, that's the proper way of using the regulation as a as a sanity check. Uh, to make sure that we're not missing something, to make sure that we're not forgetting something, to make sure that we're not, you know, making a boneheaded mistake. That's that's what I would say in that case. Go ahead, John. No, I was just going to, you know, from from my perspective, and this is an opinion, um, is it always seemed to me, you know, having been subjected to throughout my career, uh, numerous FDA inspections and, and ISO audits, they're very, very different events and very they feel very different on the receiving end um it, it's like have you ever been driving you know i guess we're, we're on this driving uh, <laughs> analogies and metaphor a little bit and all of a sudden uh, a police car shows up right behind you and you're like you change or at least i change but I didn't do. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I don't think uh, to begin with. But all of a sudden now my my hands are ten and two, and I'm like I'm like 
is everybody buckled? You know, all these sorts of things. To me, that's kind of like um, what it feels like to go through an FDA inspection. It's, it's like, oh, uh, it feels different. You know, and ISO is like, oh, yeah, cool. We're kind of buddies. You know, you'll take my cup of coffee when I offer it to you. You'll eat lunch with us and that sort of thing versus, you know, I can't give them a cup of coffee because it, it might be construed as a bribe or an inducement in some way, shape or form. I think those things just feel very different. I think that's the biggest thing, at least from my own experience. We're kind of circling around a theme here, which is, you know, I've looked at this proposed rule as simply just a compliance regulation shift. And I don't think it's, and, and, and as we have said, I don't think it's a big gap uh, in shifting to the QSMR from, I'll say it, the QSR, the existing QSR. I don't think it's changed my expectations and I don't think it's a meter mover seriously to say like, okay, all of a sudden by doing this, everybody is going to be a, a high performing um, medical device professional. That that should already be really what you're trying to strive for, regardless if you're talking about 820 or 1345 or or any of the other regulations or standards for whatever countries, markets that you're you're manufacturing or distributing into. So I I think that's the backdrop for now. That's the backdrop for when 1345 is harmonized with, with, with 820. Regulations are going to change, right? The last big one before this was probably the introduction of 830, right? UDI. So that, that hey, you, you now have to move on that from a, a ball field perspective or MDR. Like that's, that's the one that's going on right now. You have to move. But it doesn't... The compliance and the quality ought to go hand in hand. But as we have said by a variety of uh, analogies here... Um, they are different activities, right? And so, uh, yes, with the FDA as a law enforcing body, uh, whenever they show up at your at your door, I think there's going to be some some tension because hey, hey there's, there's a possibility they can put you know chains on that door if they wanted to uh, to to stop you from doing your distribution. As long as there's that, there's going to be some of that tension, and we'll still have people when the inspector asks, "Do you know what time it is?" You simply say yes in response. You know, tell them the time. Um, that's not a that is not a mindset that drives greater quality outcomes, uh, but hopefully compliance can help support it. And and there's cases where you're going to say this form or this particular thing in any regulation, it, it's in my way. It doesn't help, but it doesn't necessarily. Uh, you know, and, and Mike, you have been a strong advocate here of saying don't be victim to the regulations, make them work for you. Uh, obviously, you have to be compliant, but that it does not necessarily lessen your accountability to be uh, doing the right things, and especially in this, uh, in this market of medical devices. I agree with you, George, and thank you for those kind words. And I think, Etienne, we're going to have to wrap this up soon, but I would just add one last thing. Uh, John, I loved when you took George's driving metaphor and extended one, one step further about you know admitting that you'd probably drive a little different when there's a police car behind you. One, we, we talked earlier about uh, inspections, uh, and I know, John, you and I have talked a little bit about this before, but what the heck is the benefit of having a pre-announced inspection? In other words, somebody coming in and calling you and say, oh, by the way, we're going to come in three weeks and have an inspection. I don't want to know what's happening in the company when they're on their best behavior, when the floors have been cleaned and everything else. I want to know what's going on in the company every single day and in a normal day at random. So uh, I know that's a little bit sort of a, a tangent to what we're talking about here, but what's the advantage of even having all of these inspections, whether it's NDSAP or something else, if they're so contrived, if they're so you know sanitized? I was um, t- told a story recently where 
somebody was in a manufacturing uh, environment and they happened to be the floors and repainting them. And when they asked why, it's because they said that they're having an inspection next week. It's like, well, why are you cleaning the floors now just because you know that there's an inspector coming next week? I mean, anyway, Etienne, you you, you yeah. take over from, from here before I say something that's going <laughs> to no, dig, I think, dig myself into a deeper hole I already am. No, I think that was great. Um, I, both you and George's comments, I really appreciated those. Um, I hate to correct John of the podcast. I think it's nine and three now. They changed the regulation, but uh, uh, you know that happens. Uh, um, what? Thank you. It's not ten and two. <laughs> it's the airbags. The airbag uh, piece oh. now is it's. Uh, so your hands. Oh. I think what your hands don't hit you in the face or something it's, like that when the airbags deploy or something. Mm. Like that. It's and another course, episode. The, underli- <laughs> the underlining assumption there is that you have any hand on the wheel whatsoever. That's why they were following you, John. Is your hands are at ten and two? They're like this guy. And he's, you know, All right. throwing, he's throwing cans out the window. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. I appreciate uh, all the comments. And, uh, you know, if, if, if people want to learn more, um, we'll put some links in the show notes so that you can follow George, follow Mike, and uh, uh, learn some more. You've been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. If you're interested in expanding your quality and, and not just being compliant, but going above and beyond, uh, go over to www.greenlight.guru. We're the only medical device success platform that is designed by medical device professionals for medical device professionals. So if you're interested, go over to www.greenlightguru and uh, we will see you all next time. Thanks.